We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening to That Platinum Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Alex Fletcher of Hospitality Alliance. And this is an organization I reached out to, kind of wanted to have more conversations based on the wine and spirits side. And really, you know, they kind of brought up Alex's name. And when I kind of saw his background, I saw his work with, you know, so many uh, spots that, you know, I've been able to have a drink at, um, kind of like People's Last Stand, Harlow, MXM, um, some of these other kind of bars and speakeasies that I've kind of seen in the Deep Elm and kind of uptown areas. But really wanted to have this conversation and wanted to thank you again, Alex, for um, being able to jump on this call and help me out this podcast episode. Uh, no problem. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. Definitely. Well, I kind of wanted to start off with, you know, how you got into the industry and how you started to gain um, really experiences um, within the wine and spirits side. I saw something about, you know, you was it sure that you kind of started as a general manager at People's Last Stand? Yeah, um, I started before that. I was actually a, uh, I was a musician for a long time, and I always picked up bartending gigs to kind of supplement my income because, you know, we don't make any money playing music. Uh, <laughs> um, so when I did that, it just became, you know, more and more, uh, part of my life, and um, I just gained more experience. I started as a bar back at the uh, the quarter bar in Uptown um, many moons ago, uh, and uh, throughout you know the years, by the time I finished up playing music, um, I had moved on to just be pretty much a full time bartender at the Dubliner Irish Pub. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, it went. Uh, my good buddy Omar Yifun, uh went to go even open People's Last Stand and asked me to join. Uh, and that's kind of where I got, I cut my teeth at building cocktails and actually running full programs and stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And was there, um, I guess, what was the kind of learning curve or what were the new things you had to take on going from a full-time bartender versus kind of uh, a general manager and managing I, I guess the being the beverage director of People's Last Stand. Um, it was a lot of trial and error, uh, to be 100% <laughs> honest. Uh, there's, it's funny with our industry because, um, especially in larger establishments, uh, the owner of that establishment had no uh, food and beverage knowledge or was not experienced in it. They just uh, they owned the bar at the time, so uh, we built everything kind of from the ground up. Um, it was a lot of uh, trying things that didn't work and learning from them and adjusting. Um, from the cocktail making side of everything, 
uh, that was just all as much reading and knowledge and, again, trial and error as we could uh, possibly get our hands on. Uh, everything was a new adventure pretty much every day at that point. It was just we were opening one of the few cocktail bars in Dallas uh, when it was still a very young movement. There were still a few places out there doing it. Victor Tango's and Cedar Social and stuff like that were around. Uh, but mm-hmm. besides that, there was not a lot of places uh, doing the cocktail movement. So it was really, you know, here's what we got, here's what we can offer, and we hope you like it. And thankfully, people did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was kind of uh, wondering on really that when you got into mixology and you kind of talked about the importance of just kind of trial and error, has there been, I, I guess, any types of cocktail that you can think of that um, you know, maybe had a, a really either way better or way worse reception than you're kind of expecting? Because I remembered something, I think I read an article where you talked about, I think you said you made like a, a green chili Mai Tai or something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, yes, uh, the Tai Tai. It was a, a green curry um, oh, uh, Mai Tai. Uh, <laughs> the play on words there uh, kind of, it was a green chili Mai Tai with a pistachio or jat. And yeah, um, it was uh, pretty terrible. Uh, but, you know, it's, that's, that's all part of food and beverage. You know, you can only, you can only do so much and try so much and you're not going to, you're not going to hit a home run every time. Uh, you learn just as much from the mistakes that you make as you do the, the ones that you don't. So making drinks like that really showed me and like put me into a mindset of like what I can and cannot do. Um, and how it's it's recept, received in the public eye too, especially. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and you kind of talked, you kind of touched up on, really with all these cocktails, there there's really only so much you can, I guess, bend them or change kind of recipes, and um, you know, I kind of saw on really on a on, on a news piece that your work with Harlow MXM got a lot of notoriety and uh, especially around your uh, around the world and 80 cocktails um, beverage um, uh, container. And I was, uh, I guess if you wanted to expand on what that program was. Sure. Um, so there was, there's actually a book called uh, around the world and 80 cocktails. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading through it and I was like, I wonder if anybody's actually, you know, just gone through and built 80 cocktails um in, you know, and one cocktail a day for 80 days and actually made that experience happen. Uh, we had opened Trick Pony, which was kind of the on the side of Harlow MXM, and that whole cocktail, uh, the whole program there was built on a revolving concept. So we had done the, I think the first concept we did there was uh, like a Bill Murray-themed bar, and then I think <laughs> we did like a a, uh, a tiki concept possibly, and then um, I got the really terribly good idea to do this uh, 80, 80s day menu. And it was cool because it was fun. It was got to, we got to explore. Um, we got to use products we'd never used before. And it was more just of a challenge to ourselves more than anything else to make sure that, you know, we could execute these things and be able to pull off something that was such a, a, a large scale um, it, it was six cocktails a week, every week when we continuously add to them um, and especially you would be getting all the ingredients from different countries and stuff that you're not usually, oh, you don't, you can't find sometimes, you know, it was all challenging mm-hmm. of sourcing and uh, it was a logistical nightmare, but uh, I had a very talented prep team 
Um, I had very, very talented bartenders that were willing to do it, which is more than I could ever ask for. And uh, they pulled it off, and it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Mm. What were, I, I guess, some of the cocktails? Because when I think of, I, I guess, American culture, I think of old-fashioned Manhattans. What were kind of, I guess, some of the other countries that you featured? Um, I was actually going through the menu earlier today because it had been a really long time since I'd actually <laughs> looked at it. Uh, and it, it was a lot, uh, um, I'm pulling it up now to just to try to give you a breakdown, but we did things from like, uh, Budapest, um, that mm. was using, uh, you know, aperitifs like whack and sweet vermouth and orange carousel. We did Italian cocktails. We did Egyptian, we did French, we did Italian, we did Bermuda, we did... I mean, there was, it's just all over the place. And I try to organize them, um, basically. So a lot of, if you, if you group a lot of cocktails from the same country onto the same menu, they tend to kind of be the same ish they can, mm -hmm. um, like Spanish cocktails tend to have like a lot of wine or, uh, you know, um, Icelandic cocktails have a lot of Brennivin. Um, so I try to group them in orders to where they would, you'd still get, a variety of a cocktail list, uh, mm -hmm. but different parts of the country on each cocktail. And then we had this giant map made that uh, basically came in, took like a little tiny Polaroids of all the uh, cocktails and we built them and then pinned them to the map. And then uh, basically showed the whole like trip around the world in cocktails. Mm. Did someone get an award if they make it all the way around the world? <laughs> I was hoping <laughs> someone would. Uh, no, no one, no one made it all the way through. I think I was the only one that got to taste everything. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Is there, I guess, a specific country in that entire list that was, uh, I guess, the most difficult to find the, you, you talked, touched up earlier on kind of, uh, maybe some of the difficulties on finding product. Was there one that was like the hardest on logistically wise? Uh, logistically wise, I mean, there was just using some of the ingredients that we, there was in there. Like, uh, I never actually messed with like Brennivin, which is an Icelandic liqueur, um, that's uh, flavored with caraway or like when you, when you read them about them in the book and then you get them, and you actually taste through them and you go, Oh, wait a minute. How am I actually going to make this work? Um, but for the most part, they were all you know, they were all doable. Um, I think uh, some of the uh, Soshu from China, um, I could not really find any of like a higher grade. So it was kind of the lower grade Soshu. And, um, it, you know, it, it translates to uh, happy juice. And that's, <laughs> that's really, that's pretty much all it does. <laughs> mm -hmm. Definitely. And I kind of know um, really with, uh, uh, the trick pony is there's that, I guess that restaurant component right next to it. And then before that, I know you kind of did with the Henry's majestic and working mm -hmm. in that kind of restaurant environment. And I was kind of wondering on, you know, what is the, I can imagine with like the drinks you're making with kind of the fresh fruits or whatever you're using. Uh, what's the relationship I guess like between you and maybe the kitchen or the head chef? Uh, well, I love food. Uh, food is probably like one of my favorite things on the planet. I love to eat. I love all types of cuisine. I love pretty much any flavor profile that you can think of. I enjoy. And if I don't like it, I still eat it just to know what it tastes like. Um, 
so when if you go back and I was when I was working at the Dubliner, um, that's when I started actually making cocktails, and I didn't know I was making cocktails. Uh, someone had to point it out to me later in the day. But as mm-hmm. the bartenders used to be the chefs, they used to make all the food for the the patrons. So I would start taking like ingredients from the kitchen and start you know bringing them out to the bar and making stuff you know cucumber and mint and just simple things like that. So when we opened People's Last Stand, um, we kept that same mentality and worked really closely uh, with the chefs that were there. Uh, just, I mean, if I like a drink, but I like to eat just as much. So I, I like to be involved with the kitchen as much as I possibly can without overstepping my grounds. Um, in building that, you really build a symbiotic relationship. And that's how it should always be, in my belief, with, uh, with a restaurant. Like the bar program should be part of the, you know, the food program. The food program should be part of the bar program to make a really solid drinking establishment that's really cohesive and tells a good story, those, those guys need to walk hand in hand. And if they don't, it's a, it's a very segmented, um, broken down, you know, system. Uh, when I moved over to uh, Victor Tango's, um, when that was still open, that's really where I got to, you know, flex on my culinary knowledge because the chef there, her name was uh, Kristen Brewer, uh, and the GM, Matt Reagan, they were super foodies and very knowledgeable and very, very, very creative. And um, I would just get little side looks from the chef because I'd be digging through her produce and spices and stuff, trying to look for something I could steal to make cocktails with. <laughs> but um, they had a, what was called a cocktail DJ and it was a cocktail du jour. And part of my job was to make a new cocktail at least once a week to put up on the board. Uh, and that being said, like I had to go to the store and just kind of walk through the aisles and just figure out things that I wanted to do for that week. And so I've, if you go into central market, I think I've made a cocktail out of everything in central market at least twice at this point. Uh, <laughs> but it really helped mesh my food and uh, drink knowledge together and really work closely with the chefs, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you kind of, uh, when you're talking about like Victor Tango's and uh, kind of how you cook in your personal life and when you're kind of in the kitchen using ingredients, uh, yeah, I was kind of wondering if there, was there ever, I guess, a specific moment on, um, you know, possibly where you're kind of deciding between going into, um, you know, mixology versus possibly working with food? Um, well, um, in, by my original trade, I was a, a entertainer. So, you know, I played music um, and I played on stage and I, I loved, I loved interaction with people and I loved talking and I loved, you know, um, not, not necessarily being in the limelight, but I love the, the, the energy and action and flow of a restaurant, especially when it's running on all, all cylinders. Mm-hmm. Um, you get that sensation in the kitchen, but it's a different sensation. Uh, I like to see the front of the house. I like to see the guest reaction. I like to, you know, analyze the lighting in the room, the music in the room, all of the, all the little nuances that make a great restaurant is just something I, I thoroughly enjoy. And I go out to eat. I always, you know, analyze and see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So uh, cooking, I love to cook, but I love to cook at home. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I like to kind of that comparison you make between possibly working in the kitchen versus, um, being at a bar where it's kind of, you have that, I guess, in-person customer interactions and you have, and you can kind of see their reactions, um, 
up front. Has there ever been, uh, I guess, with that kind of environment, do you, is there a specific environment you prefer? Because I know with your portfolio, um, you know, you've worked at the bar with um, customers in a restaurant environment and a dive bar environment and more of a club environment. Um, has there been, I guess, any unique differences between any of them? Um, I mean, there's differences between all of them. I think how you present yourself behind the bar really helps uh, kind of guide the guests in to the experience that they're going to have or what they're expecting. Mm -hmm. So your establishment is just as much as your people as the establishment itself. So the people that work there um, really are what can dictate, dictate the flow of business. Um, if you have rowdy, you know, uh, very unprofessional course bartenders of sorts the it, it it shows the guests that that's it's okay to act that way um and that's just it leads itself hand in hand i uh atwater for example i mean it's a it was a little dive speakeasy um it was of the upper scale i would say but it was never pretentious uh, a lot of cocktail bars have that can lean into like that pretentious attitude or they used to be for uh, an elitism for, you know, whatever reason it was. And I can never figure that out because uh, our job is like uh, hospitality, you know, professionals is just to make, mm -hmm. get a drink in people's hands and make everybody have a good time. Mm -hmm. um, so for environment, I mean, I'm in my forties now. So the club atmosphere is, uh, is not for me anymore. I would say I don't have the energy <laughs> or the knees for it, <laughs> but, uh, I don't mind. I, I love the experience. You learn every, you just like I said earlier, you, you learn from all these places, you learn all about them. And if, if you want to grow in this industry, especially you need to know how to work within all these environments and how to curate them and how to, uh, you know, make them all successful. Definitely. I, I kind of liked how you touched up on, um, you know, kind of as, as you're uh, growing older, like you, you don't kind of prefer the club environment or, you know, if you're um, bartending, I was kind of wondering on um, really with your work environment versus your kind of personal life, uh, when you're kind of making uh, these kind of mixed drinks all the time or at, at the house, are you just wanting to like drink a Guinness? <laughs> Uh, it's funny. I I have um, you know tons of alcohol in my house, and I don't really drink at home. And I I I, I don't really drink much at all anymore. Um, mm -hmm. It's just you know it's nothing against uh, drinking, of course. I mean I, it's my my industry that I love thoroughly. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I'll I'll enjoy you know an old fashioned or you know a, a martini every once in a while. But at home, like you know I'm I got I got my kid and got my dogs and got all that going for me. It's it's not it's we don't we don't party like we used to unfortunately <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely no um yeah i kind of wanted to uh really touch up on uh with atwater alley and i kind of saw that you know you kind of uh if you wanted to kind of expand on uh really how that idea came up after um you know you were doing well with uh henry's majestic um i, I guess where you kind of approached it with the idea or do you come up with the idea on um, a speakeasy experience? So when uh, I was at Victor Tango's and I was approached to possibly come open Henry's, I went to go tour that building and uh, they showed me that little back area. Um, and that back area has a 
a slight history behind it. Like uh, there was a restaurant years and years and years and years ago that tried to kind of open up this little bar back there, but I don't think they ever got it approved by the city. So it got, it got opened and then it got shut down. I mean, there was like still, uh, there was, it was just full of junk. There was ovens and like uh, old refrigerators. There's still like wine on the ceiling from wherever someone had splashed wine somewhere. It was, it was just, it was thrashed. And, mm-hmm. uh, but when I saw it, I saw the, the potential that was in that room. And that's actually what kind of made me jo- go over to Henry's and said, I'll come over and open this restaurant if we can open this too. Mm-hmm. So priority being like, you know, get the, get the big restaurant open and running and going on full cylinders before we got, we dove into the, uh, uh, speakeasy. Um, and I, Atwater is one of my, uh, is one of my favorite bars. It's, uh, an extremely unique atmosphere. Um, it had, we ha- had this idea that I wanted to open a cocktail bar that mm-hmm. was elite by capacity not by environment, I guess, or not by social or anything. It was just more, you could fit 60 people in there. And after that, that was it. So whoever was waiting outside pretty much had to wait outside. So um, for 60 people through the door, and then after that, people would just have to wait. And we had some <laughs> uh, pretty, you know, well, well-to-do individuals waiting outside by a dumpster trying to get in. And it just, it, it made me so happy. It was just that people were willing to stand in this alley and wait in this really weird environment to get into this little tiny den. Uh, mm-hmm. When we first opened, we had a, we did not have a menu. Well, we had a great menu. It was a killer menu. Um, but I had this hodgepodge of bartenders from all across the city that were kind of helping me open it. Cause I was so busy getting Henry's open um, that, I mean, I didn't know how we were going to staff this or who was going to work there. Or, so it's like, let's just kind of get the doors open and see what the flow's like and get a feel for the place. So I had people like, you know, Matt Orth, um, Omar Yifun, uh, Mate, um, Jules, all these great bartender friends of mine. We all just kind of started bartending. And I had a fantastic menu that had like really cool, fancy spritzes and fizzes and all kinds of crazy stuff on it but we just started riffing off like cocktails that people wanted to order and then all of a sudden we were the, the bar with no menu so i atwater's always had a menu but i don't think anybody ever looks at it <laughs> they just mm-hmm. kind of walk in and you know challenge the bartender on how to make a you know whatever cocktail at the time which as a, for an operational standpoint is a nightmare but for a customer standpoint it's so much fun. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And what was, I guess, kind of the, because uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, kind of like a speakeasy where the bar is kind of hidden in that alleyway. What, I, I guess how is the, what is the marketing like for a, an environment like that versus, um, I guess, uh, you know, you kind of said the exclusivity of kind of the size of the bar with 60 max people. What's the marketing like for that versus, I guess, like a standard, um, you know, bar in, in kind of the Knox Henderson area? So the idea, since it had, we can only fit 60 people in our time, what I told everybody is just don't talk about it. 
So mm -hmm. we'd invite a few friends at a time and then just not talk about it. And then just no one ever said anything about it and just word of mouth, it was natural growth. Um, uh, Mark Ramirez did a nice article about it and a couple other people did some nice other art articles about it. But besides that, we didn't do any marketing. It was just a door and an alley that had two A's on it and you just found it. Mm -hmm. um, it was really special. I, I, I still to this day, like I, I think back and I could just see like 40 people waiting in line to get in this little bar that we never even, you know, talk about. And it was like, all right. Uh, even the, I think even the check-in at one point, if you checked in on Facebook or something, it's a, a bar in some alley somewhere. <laughs> That's funny. No, I can, uh, yeah, I can see possibly with a marketing, just, I, I guess the social capital of people just want to be known for, uh, I guess, knowing about the bar or something and possibly just kind of, they, they immediately want to tell their friends about it. Yeah, and the lucky thing is, I mean, it was never, I mean, the the it was not open all the time. It was only open, you know, I think it was like Wednesday through Saturday, or I think we, we did Wednesday through Sunday. Um, mm -hmm. But it was just an extension of uh, Henry's because the buildings were actually are connected to each other. So it wasn't like opening a small business that needed to make X amount of dollars to survive. It was an extension of a larger business that helped, mm -hmm. you know, uh, facilitate it so the ability to be very subtle and sleek and you know slow grow um, was very beneficial to the bar itself I think it helped keep its allure for longer mm -hmm. definitely and I, I kind of was wondering on um, you know specifically with the cocktails at at water alley and um, you know, kind of not making, uh, I guess with speakeasies, kind of making the um, kind of 1920s comparison, uh, really when we kind of came out of pan pandemic versus the current COVID pandemic we're in now, um, kind of with the 1920s, you had kind of the rise of gin with, um, you know, certain cocktails during that period, like the sidecar and fringe 75. And I was kind of wondering, you know, with the kind of pandemic now, do you see and with people possibly talking about, you know, a uh, possible another roaring 20s that we could have after COVID. Is there any, I guess, cocktails you've been seeing grow in popularity um, in your work or just uh, in any bars you check out? Uh, yeah, um, there has been, well, tequila is the largest category um, by far and away uh, of any spirit right now. Um, it kind of it's kind of a strange it's not strange but it's kind of a uh, a difficult time for tequila too um, because the agave there is a, a, an agave shortage so it is getting harder to mm. produce these products and their proper popularity has grown like exponentially um, more than any other category I can think of for the last you know two decades um, but cocktail wise what I found when we actually got uh, Jackson back open because we opened for two weeks and then we got shut down and then we were shut down for, you know, the entire shutdown and we were a restaurant. So we we're able to open up after that. Um, what I, what I realized uh, was kind of humbling um, to me is people were having very, a very hard time being out in public. Uh, they were having 
you know, sensory overload on a lot of things. Uh, it was still very eerie and scary and stuff like that. So this more simple, um, more comfortable cocktails uh, seemed to be what people were generating, like going to. They, they didn't want to think about it. They just been in a house for, you know, three months or whatever, or, you know, isolated for this long time. They're just getting back out in the world. They wanted to be comfortable and, you know, not, be intimidated by anything so uh jackson was a really good example none of the cocktails are overly overly thought out there they're all really solid fresh juice you know good mix great spirits and stuff but they're more your standard categories um we have like a chamoy margarita um we have a mezcal el diablo but we have you know a margarita on draft and we have a mule on draft and uh, we tweak with them a little bit, but none of them are ever thought out. Uh, what I did find, though, is people spend a lot of time following uh, people online and learning about a lot mm -hmm. of cocktails. A lot of people became, you know, home mixologists, which is fantastic. It's great. Um, I did two weeks worth of classes live on Instagram um, during the pandemic just to, you know, mm -hmm. give people something to do and taught everybody how to make syrups and different cocktail categories and taught about tequila and old fashions and stuff like that. And people really ate it up and it's, it's good. To, it's good to see that people really care about this industry and it, it really is interesting to people. Um, it's not just, you know, something to drink. Definitely. And you kind of talked about like earlier um, on uh, really kind of bars being set back a little bit with uh, people not wanting to kind of leave the house uh, much. And that's kind of what led them to more simpler uh, comfort cocktails. I wanted to kind of pick your brain also on the kind of the trend of uh, increase in e-commerce amongst cocktails and, you know, companies uh, like Drizzly doing a lot of shipping and driving to people's houses with, um, you know, spirits-based products and cocktails. And I was kind of wondering if, you know, you see that trend continuing um, with uh, direct-to-home uh, consumer products, or do you think, like, um, you know, once, you know, with vaccines out and people going, uh, people are just going to be going out more to the bars and not really want to do a cocktail at home? I think there's going to be some crossover of the two. Um, I think right now it's kind of the Wild West on to-go stuff because um, we're just learning about this business from for Texans uh, that how, you know, there's a, there's a ton of com companies doing it. You can do it from restaurants. You can do it from all these people. But I think, you know, it will get narrowed down throughout time. And some solid companies will be created to actually curate, like, a, your whole cocktail to go uh, packaging. I think as individual restaurants go, though, I don't, I don't see it as a generating enough enough cash flowing generating revenue center to continue it because there is a lot of labor involved in it. There's a lot of waste. There's a lot of time, and if it's not a continuous um, you know flow of business for it, it's just kind of a waste. Uh, I am very excited about getting people back together. I mean, our whole industry is you know creating moments for people and. Now that things are starting to clear up, uh, all, you know, all fingers crossed, all knocks on wood that we're able to, you know, get people back together and make sure and give people a good time and a, a safe place to relax and enjoy themselves. 
Definitely. And I kind of wanted to ask on um, really with the COVID-19 situation with, uh, you know, you're talking about uh, definitely can't wait for people to, um, you know, have events and go out more. Um, really with uh, Hospitality Alliance, you know, it's kind of saying um, all their locations in that new AT&T district. And I was kind of wondering, uh, you know, was that, I, I guess, was the development and the opening of bars, was that um, right at the beginning of COVID or, you know, how how long were the bars, uh, I guess, settled before, uh, you know, March 2020? Um, well, we this whole development's been in, in the works for years now. Uh, we had just gotten Jackson, uh, which is the first restaurant, anchor restaurant in that district, open two weeks before COVID. And then it was shut down. Um, it was opened up afterwards. But for the other ones, like uh, um, Hard Shake and the second floor and uh, rising time, we just now we're starting to get those open uh, in the last few months. Um, it's been a slow moving process um, and we have a lot more to open, um, but trying to do it as safely as possible and not bring too many people together at the same time right now has been really our, our biggest challenge. Um, we do have a very large district and there is one TABC license for this whole this whole area, so there is the capability of mass gathering gatherings, and it's been really interesting. And first time, first challenge. This is a, the weirdest challenge I've ever had in my life is how to operate a restaurant and not be too busy. Mm. Yeah, so definitely. instead of instead of trying to bring everybody in, how do we do it? safe enough to where people aren't overgathering. Um, and it's been a conundrum. It's been, it's I mean, it's difficult. It's difficult on slow days. It's just difficult on busy days, but it's, it's all moving positive in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That, yeah, that definitely is a, a complicated issue on, um, yeah, getting people in on uh, safely and not becoming too overcrowded, uh, especially, for business, I kind of want to ask on, you know, with uh, kind of those developments um, like Rise in Time um, in the AT&T district, is there any, was there any key differences or noticeable differences between, um, I guess, being a beverage director in a bar that's just opening and, um, you know, just opens their doors um, during a certain period versus coming in as a beverage director to, you know, an existing bar that, you know, has been open or has consistent customers for, you know, many years? Yeah, um, it's two completely different mindsets, really, when you're walking into those situations. Um, from the first, for a restaurant that's been already established and opening, um, which, like, take, uh, if you take Victor Tango's, for example, that was, that's a, that was a very coveted program that they had established there. Um, you walk in and you, you know, you learn the ropes and you look and analyze. And then when you do want to like make changes, you make subtle changes because guests already have a perception of what their restaurant is. And if you come in and flip the whole thing on its head, I mean, you can upset people. Like even it's not, it's not your job or my job or anybody else's job to tell a guest what's good and what's bad. Um, so if they have cocktails on the menu that are high selling cocktails that are, you know, not of the caliber that you would like, but the guests still love them, you keep them. And then you make your subtle suggestions 
on um, thematics, on how the thematics of the menu should go. And then another part of it's just like trying to, I wouldn't say fix, but fix um, other people's mistakes going through and looking at uh, cocktail uh, costing analysis and uh, products being used and trying to revamp and, you know, trim down any waste of cost of goods sold uh, by just cleaning up the program as a whole. When I'm writing a program for a, uh, a, a new, a brand new establishment, I write it, you know, to be thematic for the theme of the restaurant and really trying to grasp what the, the feeling of the whole concept is. And then as, uh, as I do now is I kind of get my, my idea in my head of how I want it to look and how I want it to feel. And then I do all the math of how it needs, what it needs to cost. And then I write the cocktails for it and how we're going to make the creative aspect fit into the, the math profile. Um, because, well, I mean, our industry is is about experiences and doing cool things, but it's also, you know, you have, you have very slim margins in the restaurant industry. So you, if you're, you have to be very tight and conscious of what you're buying and selling to make sure you make a little bit of profit somewhere. We all got, a, we all got families to feed. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And has that been, I, I guess, uh, really working on those cost margins? Has, has that been like a juggle when, um, with all those different locations on the AT&D district, because, you know, I kind of know one's more kind of restaurant-y, one's more, um, you know, more of a divish bar kind of in different environments. Um, I wouldn't say it's been uh, over. I mean, it, there is a challenge to it. It's a, a fun challenge though. Um, mm-hmm. I, I kind of, I, I love my spreadsheets. And I love, I love maps and I love playing with numbers and stuff. Um, and then figure out, I love to problem solve. So that's my, what, so whenever I'm writing something, I, I try to fill up all those gaps and make sure everything's working and flowing how it should. And then you just have to really rely on your staff and really treat them as respectful as possible and train them and show them as much as you possibly can to help you um, build the vision that you see and make them a big part of it. So like, I, I, there's no way I could ever do all this by myself. I have a fantastic team that's extremely talented that I, I love dearly that really help out, you know, in my day-to-day life to where we make all these things work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I guess to um, really kind of wrap this up, I, I really wanted to ask on, um, you know, with kind of COVID coming, you know, we're kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and, um, with it coming to an end, is there anything, uh, I guess, specifically with um, the entire COVID situation, is there any um, afterwards, any goals you're kind of looking forward towards, or is there anything, um, any projects that, you know, you're definitely excited about? Um, you know, I know definitely with the emergence of kind of that AT&T district. Yeah, um, I'm excited to get this whole thing rocking and rolling. Uh, we mm-hmm. have a ton of stuff coming up. I have an, another bar that's opening in this district. It's called Double Tap. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually a cocktail built for all speed. Uh, it's going to have, I think, 10 cocktails on draft is what I put on there. It's 10 beers, wine, uh, everything. Just very comfortable and casual. Um, but, you know, delicious and uh, high quality as well. Um, I'm excited for, and uh, for the most part, uh, I'm excited to take a vacation after this is all open though. <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a long Definitely. time. 
Yeah, that was kind of uh, when you say cocktails on draft, does that mean that you make it fresh or? Uh, it's a cocktail that is actually uh, built in a larger um, container, kept in your oh, keg wow. cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kept in the cooler, and it's actually on it's on uh, your draft system, just like a beer. But it's uh, all um, it's got CO two and you know, basically nitrogen, preserving everything mm-hmm. and keeping it uh, keeping everything fresh. And then we have kegs that agitate the cocktail, so nothing mm-hmm. settles. Um, and then they just you just crank them right off the right off the right off the uh, draft system no that's uh yeah that's really cool that's uh what are some of the uh cocktails there or can you not say <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'll tell you what I'll, I'll give you one what the the one that i'm calling <laughs> calling the double tap is going to be a uh it's basically a cucumber infused uh tequila with a little bit of citrus i'm doing a tahine with a pineapple soda so okay, it's going to be cool Super crushable. Definitely. Okay, so that's my uh, secret tippet. <laughs> yeah, the rest, the rest of the menu, menu will be disclosed soon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, definitely. No, I'm. Uh, yeah, I'm really excited to um, be able to uh, check out the location. I, I, is there, I guess, an official open date, or is that not uh, disclosed yet? Uh, there is, but just to, you know, save myself any trouble, I'm probably going to just leave that one alone just in case some dates get moved around. I don't want to disappoint sure. anybody. <laughs> no, 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 definitely. No, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm really excited. No, that seems, uh, really cool with, uh, cocktails and beers on tap. I know I definitely, I, I've been able to go to the AT&D district. Definitely kind of enjoyed, um, uh, when I checked out the beer garden on the square, um, but mm-hmm. definitely kind of knew that, you know, I definitely want to keep on coming here as, um, you know, kind of, I know I was kind of thinking that this would be really cool when, you know, there's huge uh, events going on or, you know, some type of uh, collaborations or something. So no, I'm definitely excited to check out those locations. Yeah. Um, please come have a drink at hard shake too. I think you'd really dig it. It's uh, um, I'd, basically uh, Asian, Spanish, and French-influenced cocktail menu. So um, I took a little bit from all around the world, and there's two – the restaurant actually – the cocktail bar feeds two different restaurants' um, menus. So okay. there's a uh, Japanese-inspired um, menu. There's also a Spanish and French-inspired tapas menu hmm. from two different restaurants. So the cocktail bar actually is it leans into those – field so it's kind of cool it's fun it was it was a it was a cool challenge to write for two restaurants at the same time yeah definitely yeah french and spanish that's uh no no i'm uh definitely looking for uh definitely some date ideas so no no that seems like a really cool bar uh, hit me up whenever you come in <laughs> yeah for sure no no i'm definitely gonna check it out definitely well i wanted to uh thank you again alex for um, helping me out with this episode and, you know, having this conversation. Um, you know, when I kind of uh, was kind of preparing for this, I kind of knew, um, like, wow, this is, uh, you know, a huge portfolio. We're going to have a, a lot of information to kind of cover and, you know, a lot of cool stories. But, no, I'm really glad we got to, you know, kind of talk about, like, Atwater Alley, Harlow MSM, um, some of the beverage programs we're dealing with the new AT&T district. And you know some of these other bars. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, man. It's been great. Um, you can call me anytime. I love I love to tell stories for sure. 
<laughs> Definitely. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through the PlatinumMask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at GrayMask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.